Thank you, Chris and team. No pressure at all there, really. Wow. Well, you may have noticed that we decorated in honor of Scott's return from the beach. We wanted his transition to be, you know, not so traumatic to come back to the real world. Now, our VBS, um, man, it's amazing, all of these decorations, all the time that's been put into this. We're going to talk about giving up yourself being sacrificial a little bit today. But I want to congratulate Scott and Carolyn on the birth of the first McLucas granddaughter over in Germany. So uh, it's... Uh, and we want to welcome all of you all here this morning, the ones that are here with us in person and the ones at home that are watching. Get you another cup of coffee, put your feet up. And uh, we're going to hear from the Lord today as, as we come into his presence uh, my name's Rick Trout, and I'm part of the leadership team here at the church, and it's always, always a privilege and an honor to stand before you and open up God's Word. Now today, uh, I know you're not going to be surprised, we're in Romans. And we're entering into chapter 15 today. If you want to follow along in the church Bibles that are under the seats in front of you, that's on page 1125. And Paul has been talking to us about coming together about caring for our weaker brothers in the faith. And as I said last week, weaker does not mean inferior. Don't make a mistake there. Weaker does not mean inferior. As an example, someone who, who is weaker in the faith could be a new believer, someone who's just come to Jesus and who's just sort of feeling this out and trying to learn and grow in his faith. And he looks to those who are stronger, more mature Christians, and he looks to them for an example, for guidance, maybe even for a mentor in that. And Paul urges us, who he calls the strong, to act responsibly and not flaunt our freedoms and our liberties in a way that would cause someone else to stumble. You see, when we, when we choose to give up our freedom, when we choose not to exercise our freedom, we're not being restrictive. I mentioned this last week. We're not being restrictive. We're showing love for others by giving up our freedoms. Liberty and freedom doesn't mean insensitivity. Sometimes it can come across that way if we're not careful. But we should strive to be others-oriented. Now, Paul, I think, kind of brings us all to a conclusion. He wraps this up uh, in the first seven verses of chapter 15, and that's, that's where we're going to be today. And he draws our attention to Jesus as our example. You see, we come together through Jesus, and he alone unites us in the midst of all of our differences, our different views and practices and opinions. So let's look at what Paul says in these first Seven verses. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice 
you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. You see, Christ sets the example for us. And like him, we're to, to bear with others. We're to, to build them up. The places they fall short, we come along and, and lift them up. And we don't always need to be pleasing ourselves. You see, Jesus came with just one thing in mind, you and I. He came to give his life to reconcile us back to the Father. But I think in our culture today, we, we live in a very self-obsessed society, wouldn't you say? It seems that everything is just about self-promotion. It's, it's all about me. Sacrifice. Sacrifice is a very countercultural word, I think. I think it goes against sometimes our natural tendencies. I use the example of, of social media. Social media is so pervasive in our lives. Whether you're a part of that or whether you're not, it is just focused on the individual. It's all about me. It's, it's this is what I'm doing. This is what I believe. This is what I think. And I wonder sometimes, do we really care? Do we really care what somebody had for breakfast? Do we really care about what their cat did that was really cute? And honestly, do we really care what their opinion is? Because it's all about me. You know, I think that we're pretty much just nosy. We just are sort of virtual peeping toms. We want to know what's going on in everybody's life. We don't really care, but we want to know so that we can compare ourselves, so that we can kind of to gauge how the world's going and how I can either fit in or push back against that. But Jesus, he tells us not to be like the world. That's what he told his disciples in Matthew 20. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, two words in there, I think, make us uncomfortable today. Servant and slave, right? I mean, those are, have very negative connotations in our world. No, I don't want to be a servant, and I certainly don't want to be a slave. But Jesus uses these adjectives to try to drive home a point of how important it is to give up yourself, to put yourself in a more lowly position than those around you, in your heart, in your mind, in your actions. He says we should bear with and build up. So we need to ask ourselves a question. What can I do or what can I not do to accomplish this for somebody else? Jesus didn't seek to please himself. He was thinking of our good when he came, when he suffered, when he died to pay the price for our sin. It was our sin that put him on the cross. It was yours and mine. In Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 2, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. 
not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. He's our example. He says, value others above yourselves. It's a noble concept. Think about it. What would our, our families, our marriages, our workplaces, our government, what would it look like if we began to value others above ourselves? flies in the face of everything that, that we see and hear around us today. But what might it look like? A good example, right here at Orchard Hills. Uh, after the sermon today, there'll be prayer ministers that'll come up here to the rail. And they're here to pray with you, to pray for you. But in order for that to happen, these people sacrificed a lot of time. They sacrificed a lot of themselves. They put their hearts and souls into becoming a prayer minister. It's not just, oh, you're a prayer minister, come on up. No, they, they had to spend time and study and pray together with other people to get their hearts in the right place. But they did it not for themselves, not to bring glory to themselves to say, oh, look, I'm a prayer minister. No, they did it for you and for everyone else here. That takes sacrifice. We also have a Stephen ministry here at the church. And again, the people that have, have volunteered to do that spend months in classes. We learn how to deal with people who are going through depression, who are dealing with substance abuse, who have gone through a divorce, who have terminal illnesses, all of these different things. We learn, we grow, and we minister to other people because we care more for you than we do ourselves. But you don't have to be part of a formal ministry or part of something at a church to do this. You see, God puts us exactly where he wants us. I've lived long enough and experienced enough to understand that there are no coincidences. Our lives have a pattern and a plan. Uh, most of the time we try to fight against it and move away from it. But God will use you right where you are, in your family, in your, your relationships with other people, in your workplace. Case in point, I, I have a motorcycle repair shop. It's my retirement thing after I left the fire service. And uh, I've been running that business for 21 years. And I'm thinking, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to, to move on, to, to go into that next thing that I'm going to do. I don't know what that is quite yet. And... Early on in my business, I just said, Lord, this is yours. What, whatever success or failure I have, I want you to be in the midst of it. I want people to come in our front door here for whatever reason to understand that we're about your business here first. And I, I don't have posters plastered on, plastered on the wall. I don't have crosses everywhere. I just treat people the way Jesus treats people. I put their needs first in something as simple as motorcycle repair. And I have been amazed that each time I get ready to retire, each time I think, you know, I'm going to pack up the toolboxes and shut the door and I'm going to go do something else, another person walks through that front door, totally unexpected, whose wife just passed away, who just got a diagnosis of cancer. 
and who pour their hearts out in the midst of a smelly, greasy motorcycle shop to an old man that they don't even know. But God knows. And his spirit lives in here. And he allows me to to just be with those people, to listen, to be an ear, to be a friendly face. We can all do that. We can all accomplish that right where we are. We don't have to take classes. We don't have to have a formal ministry. We just have to be willing to sacrifice, sacrifice ourselves and allow Jesus to come in, allow his spirit to control us. And if we think we're making a great sacrifice by giving up some of the freedoms or liberties that we have just to please someone else, then let's look at the sacrifice that Christ made. Let's hold up our sacrifices next to his and see how they compare. Do you think there's anything, anything that we could possibly do or give up or sacrifice that would put us on a level with Calvary? No. He did all of that just for us. That was his intent when he came. Now, coming together as a community, it's difficult. We recognize that unity is not easy. We talked about last week all of the things that tend to pull us apart, all the, the things that we disagree on, the things that we argue about, the things that cause churches to split. But what we're talking about this week is the thing that brings us together. And that's Christ. That's what draws us together. That's what gives us that unity. He, he's given us his great example. And his spirit lives within us. He gives us, as Paul said, the endurance and encouragement we need to live in harmony with one another. Through his word and through our prayers. Let's look at verse 4 and 5 again. It says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Unity is in, it's the will of God. It's what he calls us to. It's what he wants for us. And it's enabled in us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Only he can bring it to pass. This is not something you can drum up. It's not man-made. You can't will yourself into doing it. It all comes from God. You see, we, we pray for unity. And we trust that God's going to change hearts. He's going to open people up, and he's going to open us up to his spirit. You see, we unite in those essential things, things that we talked about that were non-negotiable. We can express ourselves with freedom in those non-essential things, the traditions and customs and practices and opinions that we have that may be different from others. And we can seek always to love and support one another in the process. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's imagine what this, what this might look like. Think about a, a huge choir 
that come together. Lots of different voices, tenors and altos and bass. You have male and female. You have young and you have old. And they all sing in perfect harmony. That's what unity sounds like. It's that perfect harmony. We don't want everybody to be just alike, do we? I think it would be pretty boring if we were. But Jesus calls us to not be alike, but to be one, to be united, to have unity. But don't misunderstand that this oneness does not mean sameness. We can come together in unity and still have our own identity, to still have our own diversity and our different opinions. Unique voices sing at different tones, different levels, yet they come together in harmony. Or how about an orchestra? Have you ever gone to see the Roanoke Symphony Orchestra? We always go to the Christmas time thing that they have. And it's, it's when they're getting ready, they're all up there tuning up, and it sounds kind of disjointed and kind of odd. A lot of squeaking and scraping and banging and things going on, but then suddenly it stops, and the conductor gets up. And all of those different instruments, making all of those different sounds, come together in one beautiful piece of music. You see, God makes us different. It's reflected in his creation. Look around you. We need to appreciate the differences and seek to recognize that the beauty exists in these differences. Imagine a world where there was just one kind of flower or just one bird or one kind of animal. Imagine if there were no colors. You know, I love the rainbow. It's, it's just a magical thing when you have a thunderstorm and, and it's raining and it's humid and the wind's blowing and then suddenly the wind dies, the clouds open up and the sun pops out. And you look over your shoulder and you see that beautiful rainbow with all those vibrant colors. What if it was just gray? What if it just stayed gray, had no color? You see, our beauty is in our differences when we all come together, when we come together as one. If everyone would made the same, it'd spoil the picture. You know, it, we need to come together and unite our hearts, but we're not ever going to all be the same. 1 Corinthians 12 says, But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. That's a picture of us. That's a picture of the church. That's what he's saying here. We're all different, but we all make up one body. We all come together as one. Scott's working hard with a lot of other pastors in the valley for this one church thing. We're, we're trying to bring churches together and find unity and, and things that we have in common and stop looking at all the things that make us different. It's a beautiful picture, but it doesn't happen naturally. Now, I think God could have made it happen. He could have made us all just exactly alike, like robots. He could have synced up 
our minds and causes us to think alike and to look alike. But that would really have distorted the picture of him in each of us, right? That picture which is one of variety and diversity and beauty that only comes through him, through his creation. That's the beauty of the church when we all come together, when we join our hearts and our minds through the power of his spirit that lives within us. Can there be one voice? Yeah, I think it can. The Apostle John, he got a little preview of that one voice thing in Revelations chapter 7. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. One voice. Can you imagine? Every nation, every tribe, people from the beginning of creation till then, all together singing God's praises. And then, a new heaven and a new earth. We get to be restored back to the way we were meant to be. We get the garden back. How marvelous is that going to be? When all things are made new. All things. Now that's in our eternity to come. But what about now? Can we sort of get a glimpse of this now? Possibly. If we come together in unity, if we begin to love one another, to sacrifice for one another, to think more of others than we do ourselves. Now we look at the church and we look at our culture and our society and all the disunity and the conflicts of views and the differences of opinions and it seems overwhelming, impossible, but not for God. For us, yeah, but not for God, not for that spirit that lives within us. You see, coming together in unity is the will and the purpose of God. It's what his heart desires for us. But it's only possible if we learn to surrender totally to him. So how do we begin? How do we start this process? You know, every process that you enter into, whether it be a relationship or a job or anything, you've got to have a starting point. You've got to have a place to get off and get started. Well, I think verse 7 tells us, it says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Just as Christ accepted you. He didn't ask for you to get all cleaned up and make sure you're obeying all the rules and that you're doing everything according to the, to the playbook. He took you just the way you are. And he accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That's the reason we come together. Left to ourselves, we won't do this. You know you won't do it. Not on your own. It's too uncomfortable. It goes against everything around you and everyone around you. 
But if we truly believe what we say we believe, if the things that we stand up here and preach about, if the things that you read in God's Word and you take to heart, if the repentance that you do on a Sunday morning here when we do the confession, if you believe all of the things that you recite in the Apostles' Creed, then, then God's Spirit lives in you. And you have the power, you have the ability to do that. We've got to place our faith in Christ. Then all things are possible. Now Jesus, throughout the Gospels, he gave a lot of advice and he talked about a lot of things. And he, had, he, he told his apostles a lot of things, but there's three of them that, that I think kind of come to my mind as, as we've been going through this series in Romans. And, and then there are things that we need to do as we begin this process. It's, the first one is we're called to love, but not just an emotional love, not just a physical love that we experience here that we think is love, but we need to love like Jesus loved, sacrificially. I remember when my son got married, and at the wedding reception, you know, the father gives a, a toast and some sage advice or something is expected. Well, I can remember that I told him at the time and his new bride, I said, as you enter into this relationship, you have to be willing to give 100% of yourself with no expectation of anything in return. And you, as, as his wife, need to do the same. And if you can do that, you live in harmony. You'll be united. Well, the same thing applies to us. We have to be willing to give of ourselves to the point that it's uncomfortable. Jesus called us to love as he loved. He called us to forgive. How? As we have been forgiven. Think about that. Think about the magnitude of that forgiveness. And finally, he calls us to accept each other, as we have been accepted by him. It's not an easy thing to do. But we can start today. We can start right now. We can start looking at the people around us differently. We can start loving each other differently. And the world can change. Is it going to be easy? No. But it's not impossible. That spirit lives within each and every one of you who called Jesus Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Gracious God, we just come humbly into your presence, and we thank you. We thank you. We pray that your word will penetrate hearts and souls today in a way that only you can. Nobody needs to hear from me or from Scott or from any other man that stands here. We need to hear from you. We need you to overwhelm us with your spirit. We need you to transform us in the midst of the chaos. And we know that you can, and we trust that you will use us right where you put us for your glory and your honor always. In Jesus' name, amen.